guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ace Comicals. Uh, it's me, Greg, and over there today we have Rahul. All the way over here. Hi, guys. Well, yeah, hi, guy. <laughs> when I say guys, I meant like the collective audience, which I should say, hey, folks, sorry. Oh, the one, the, hi, guy, the one listener. Yeah, yeah hi, guy. Hi, yeah. hi, hi, dude. <laughs> God, you can tell I haven't done this for a while. <laughs> yeah, how, so like, yeah, we've not had, well, you've not been on for ages. Well, I, I lost my voice for ages, so I, I couldn't know. really. Yeah, I know. I, it's uh, it's coming back. Weirdly, it's coming back uh, perfectly fine during hay fever season. I don't know what has changed. Maybe I'm just immune to my cat now, and like that because that was part of the problem. I also caught COVID, which was part of the problem. Um, yeah, it's just a whole mess of things, but it seems to be clearing up. Um, I have to make sure I don't talk too yeah. much or shout too much. But otherwise, like I said, I didn't talk to anyone for a for a whole week just to, to be able to do recording. So it's a good excuse. It's <laughs> the combination of the. Um... The pollen and COVID, uh, not pollen, sorry, the, uh, the the cat and COVID, I think, has transformed your body. So now you actually need pollen. That's what it is. Yeah, like the <laughs> pollen is the... Yeah, it's function. yeah. <laughs> it's the anti-cat. It's the anti-cat <laughs> equation. Yeah. <laughs> you've not spoken for a week up to now, so you've just been kind of like a vow of silence, like in your, li- in your little office. <laughs> it's blissful, mate. <laughs> you just try it. <laughs> I can't, unfortunately. I work in a call uh, centre. Oh, yeah. You can't really not, not talk <laughs> at a call centre. <laughs> like the most passive-aggressive call centre. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, I'm guessing you've watched Batman. Um, in fact, I know you've watched Batman, so I don't know why I'm guessing. I mean, the, the, list, the listener doesn't know that. So. Um, yeah, no, I watched Batman. I watched Batman when it started streaming in the UK. Um, <laughs> very good film like i've i've been very out of the loop um the last couple of years on new releases and stuff and like i kind of knew that the batman existed like i knew it was a thing that was happening I, i'd obviously seen the trailers i knew that um yeah uh, robert pattinson was in it and all of that business but like it didn't feel real to me until i put it on and i was like oh this isn't just like somebody's pet project that's happening in the background like this is a full-on big budget hollywood hollywood spectacular comic book movie and I feel like that really primed me to have a good time for it. Uh, like, so it's a really good film. Like, uh, yeah. it's it's a really comic book feeling movie, which doesn't resort to. I was going to use the word gimmicks. That would be really unfair to films like Scott Pilgrim and Sin City or whatever, which use like stylized gimmicks. Uh, like, well, I don't want to use the word gimmicks, but like those kind of <laughs> techniques, mechanics, whatever. But like, it doesn't really resort to that. It resorts to like framing and like, yeah. Um, shot composition and like all of these things which make it feel really reminiscent of images on a page and like it can be quite static in places and i don't know i just i i was really taken with it um and and nirvana songs and i mean that always helps because we're you know 90s kids so it's uh it's kind of primed to us right it did it did rip me right back to being 15 years old and sitting there (laughs) reading batman comics listening to nirvana yeah yeah it's like yeah no it's really good i really liked um I really like that they found a way to make Riddler not like it's he's always felt kind of either impotent or like part of a joke because like the Jim Carrey version of the Riddler was was just a joke right whereas this guy he felt really menacing he felt like he felt really smart he felt like a um like an intellectual powerhouse but like still not so smart to 
not fall into his own hubris and that's his own downfall and all of that stuff yeah. and like some of the puzzles were genuinely quite clever and it and it it means that we got to see what we always see in the comics but rarely get to see very well presented in the films which is like batman being a detective like actually doing some detective work actually like you know being um yeah like pow- pounding the streets as it were <laughs> like in his cape i guess but like actually doing some some of the like even kind of the boring bits of detective work which is just sitting yeah. there and like voyeuristically watching people see what they do and what their behaviors are and stuff and like that was that was very cool i'm, I'm really glad that they they went in that direction yeah. watching waiting lots of anticipating waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i've um i've always I've, I've always been i've been thinking like actually like i i kind of had these thoughts the other day that in the darkest timeline you would be the riddler so <laughs> <laughs> thanks i guess i don't, I don't know what to <laughs> I feel like that's your super hit, your super villain persona, like because yeah, you're cool. you're into the puzzles and the and the games and and that kind of stuff. And I think and, and you're a really smart guy, and that that's just you. Like, <laughs> I'll I'll take it. Like, damn, it could have been Bane, but whatever, you know. <laughs> I think I'm like Jonathan Crane or something. I was gonna say like <laughs> <laughs> like the like the the twisted humor <laughs> of Crane yeah. would be you. Yeah. I'm like Jonathan Crane or something. In the darkest timeline, I, I became the <laughs> Scarecrow and you became the Riddler. What would Leon be? Um, I don't know. I didn't really manage to pin him down. Probably <laughs> Hush. <laughs> I don't know. Let's go. Let's go with Hush for Leon. Yeah, we'll have to discuss that with him. See yeah, how he feels we'll have to discuss it. it with him. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I didn't really think about it too much. Um, I just came up with those two because I thought, oh, they fit the bill. Yeah, fine. I'll take it. I've got glasses. I like puzzles. Whatever. <laughs> I can sing Ave Maria. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was recently uh, with the Mayamada crew doing a podcast with them about the Batman, which you can go and listen to out now on all available platforms that they subscribe to. And so do we actually. So like Spotify, etc. You can find it everywhere. Anywhere you can find Ace Comicals, you can find that. Um, and um, it's a really interesting conversation to have. And I got to sort of like bring up some of what I thought were the influences um, going on and, and what, what I thought was, was going on in that film from a comic fan perspective, like some of like what I managed to pick out off my shelf that I felt they drew influence from and things like that, uh, which was quite, quite fun to do. Um, Intriguing. Yeah. I'm yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh it is it is a real like soup of influences. Um, I'll just say that right now, and um, I I love that it does actually feel like a comic book. Like we were saying in a private chat, um, like one of our like WhatsApp chat things, we were saying about how it's uh, um, it's basically a six issue uh, run mm, in a movie, yeah. and it even has the pacing like right down to the final. Um, moments of the movie and how they do what they do with the characters and how they reveal certain things and things like that is very comic book pacing and I, I respect it for that mm. I really like that um, but like just off the top of my head the books that I pulled off the shelf that this sort of draws influence from uh, I've got Batman Dark Knight Dark City which is um, like Detective Comics, um, earlier, earlier. Well, I like kind of like 
late 80s early 90s stuff it's like peter milligan and kieran dwyer um yeah so nine uh, it starts with detective comics 452 actually which is august 1990 so yeah there's that one uh which is like the riddler being um a little bit more um it's like th- this is basically the point where the riddler gets darker and stops being th- this is like a more violent riddler in this one which is where i thought okay maybe they got some influence from that uh, I've got Batman, uh, New 52, Volume 4, which is Zero Year Secret City. And then I've got Dark City, which is like basically the Riddler coming into his own and taking down Gotham City or trying to take down Gotham City. And then um, interesting thing with um, some of the way that they use the Riddler in this new movie, it comes out in Volume 4 of the Batman New 52. If you have a look at the way they do the Red Hood gang in that is quite interesting. Uh, Batman Hush, um, a lot of Batman Year One influence, especially in the way that Selina Kyle is costumed and looks, um, and a lot of Year One beats actually in in that film, um, and of course the Long Halloween. Which have they made a Batman film yet that's not based on the Long Halloween? <laughs> I, I wouldn't know, but I assume the answer is no. Well, actually, I, I, well, Batman eighty nine, I guess. But right, <laughs> maybe. Um, what am I talking about? I'm talking out my ass. Of course they are. <laughs> if we can't, I'm, I'm, if uh, I'm, I'm only going back as far as Nolan, but like, <laughs> yes, they have. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a great movie and I very much enjoyed it. And if you want to listen to me, talk to people instead of at people, <laughs> go and listen to the My Mother cast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's great. Um, so, I mean, on from there, what I thought would be fun to open with today for the books that we've got today is another one by um, George Wilesol. So last time you heard me speaking with Leon about a book called 2120, which we had a preview of from Avery Hill Publishing. Um, George Wilesol, the artist and writer for 2120, which was this amazing love letter to point and click games, um, has another book uh via view hill which is called internet crusader now this kind of plays with the same kind of um aesthetic but it's it's very different and very differently put together in the fact that it's more of a it's a visual story it's a piece of sequential art rather than a um a manual point and click game i guess you could call 2120 I don't know. I don't know how to classify it. It is a comic, but it's it's like in that liminal space between games and comics, like we were saying last time. Um, but it, this is more of a a um, a more conventional piece of sequential art, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Is what is what Internet Crusader is. So, Internet Crusader, and never before in my entire life have I felt so called out or put on blast by a book. <laughs> and if you look at some of the screenshots, you'll see why. Um, so if you go to the Avery Hill website and you look at some of the pages for this book, um, well, I'll, I'll get onto it in a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the blurb first. So um, Internet Crusader. So ever had one of those days where you're talking to a smoking hot chick online and she turns out to be a robot working for an evil cult and that hot chick sends a computer virus masters dirty pictures? And that computer virus allows Satan to come through everyone's computers and hypnotize them. 
but the family computer has parental locks on it so you don't get the virus. And then God messages you to say that you're the only person on earth who can save human existence. Anyway, that's the setup for this part art book, part graphic novel, and 100% true deep dive into early internet culture. From creator of Ghosts, etc., George Wilder. So I need to pick up Ghosts, etc. now as well, because like I am on a a, a like a, a kick with this guy's work. So, um, and then uh, from uh, the character, the main character in the book, who is BK Skator One Nine One. Yo, you are able. You are about to read one of the greatest stories ever told. It's the story about how I went on the internet and single-handedly saved the world, killed the devil, and made friends with God. I call this story Internet Crusader. So yeah, um, the book opens and it is a series of um, screens, like each page, it's like looking at an early OS screen, like when you would log on to your family computer and you were using Windows 95 or Windows 98 circa 1999, right? Hmm. Um, and it, it really does capture that kind of early computing, you know, like the, the t like sort of like... I, I early days of the internet kind of thing in in a way that like the days that when we would use the internet coming home from school you'd have like like that two hour window when you were allowed to use it after 6 p.m because it cost a penny a minute i don't know if you ever experienced anything like that right <laughs> yes of course <laughs> like i 100 percent agree with you um because like I'm, i haven't read this yeah. book but i'm looking at the screenshots and yeah 100 percent looks like that whole Windows yeah. 95, 16-bit colours, sort of uh, yeah. low-resolution CRT thing. Yeah, yeah some, of, some of you that listen to this will be way too young to remember this. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's fine. Um, you probably won't get it, but it's okay. <laughs> you probably won't get why it's so appealing to me. But yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, you can enjoy it in other ways because it is still a great story. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, the, the nostalgia factor here is, is very strong. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of vibed with it so much because it is basically my childhood almost like it's my sort of like that, that period between 10 and 13, like when I was like 11, 12 years old. So yeah, internet, the internet, this internet crusader is a piece of sequential art that fully manages to distill down and bottle the fragrance of the early days of the internet. And it fucking reeks <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> wonderfully put <laughs> being an 11 12 year old kid and getting to go on and use msm while listening to your favorite corn songs like ripped from cds you borrowed from your mates like looking at dumb web pages like i used to go on websites that were basically just collections of box art for beast wars <laughs> like i i didn't go on looking for dirty pictures because i knew what would happen if i got found out i was a good kid on the internet i used to just look at like fucking box art for action figures and shit <laughs> like that was me that was my internet time i but, think we're um, in a similar spaces just so, just to make you feel better about yourself i was yeah terrified of looking at dodgy stuff on the internet at least at, at 13 yeah. when like yeah. what this is hearkening to <laughs> maybe not a little bit later but like yeah this yeah this time period yeah definitely video game cheat codes and stuff i would look up video game cheat codes mm. like that would be a thing like, like, yeah, like to, yeah, game FAQs and like, yeah, download, kind of a little bit before downloading stuff off Napster. Is that like kind of that's where we are? About? That's where we are, yeah. Right, Borrowing okay. CDs from your friends, ripping them using Windows Media Player, yeah, gotcha. Um, instead of going on Wiki Walks, you're using Microsoft and Carter, that kind of stuff. So, mm. you're playing dumb Flash games, 
Do you remember those like like silly flash games you would find on various websites where it was like silly little golf games and things like oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 The good all of that days. is all of that is covered in this book. All of it. Okay. Um, and yeah, and you're living for that two hours a night that you get connected to the net a penny a minute. <laughs> and, and you know, like never have I simultaneously laughed and cringed so hard in my entire life at a book. Like, so the pages, like I was saying, they take the form of like an old CRT computer screen, like an outdated OS you might, f you might not be old enough to remember, like I've already said. Um, that, that sort of like Windows turquoise and grey start bar kind of shit going on and, and loads mm -hmm. of icons and having three windows open at once, different chats and media players. Like I was a Winamp guy and one of these, um, one of the images here that they share on the, uh, on the website for Internet Crusader on the Avery Hill site, there's a very Winamp looking media player, sort of like minimized <laughs> with the... Um, with like a custom skin on it and everything. Yeah, and I love yeah. I love George Wyler Soul's rendition of the Follow the Leader album art. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's listened to Got the Life. Um, and, uh, you know, having your live journal, updating your live journal, reading your emails, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Voyage, even... Voyager chat, which I think is an analogue of Yahoo looking at it on this screenshot. Yeah, it looks like yeah. either AOL or one of yeah. those things. Even like the, because I, again, haven't read the book, but looking at these screenshots, like there's already stuff that's like crammed in, like uh, in the, the web browser, like there's already like t 12 taskbars and stuff, which is a whole mood from back then, right? Like randomly installing yeah. taskbars. Yeah. And then like there's a little orange fish, which must be Babelfish, like AltaVista's Babelfish and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I feel yeah. like I'm going to really enjoy this book. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like you can see like on the icons that are on there, you've got, um, Virus Shield, VidXR Ripper, Burner, Virus Zapper, Media Player, Voyager Online. God, remember Artic my... Palette. Yeah, huh? like my, my briefcase. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a blast from the past. Jet Print 97. <laughs> my briefcase, yeah, holy shit. God. Yeah, oh man, the old recycle bin icons. <laughs> yeah installer.exe run.exe yeah just just the shit that would end up on the computer because no one really knew what the fuck that they were doing <laughs> like <laughs> um oh network neighborhood do you remember that one yeah <laughs> yeah yes. like setting up lamp parties and stuff yeah yeah no yeah so it, it is it is a whole mood it is a whole early internet mood and i i have seen my fair share of family computers that looked exactly like this <laughs> and uh yeah it's um it's a wild ride and it the, the most interesting thing about it is the pacing and the way the story's set up because the whole thing takes place in that one hour that this kid's allowed on the internet and then like the chapter ends when the parental controls kick in and he gets kicked off and then, like, he logs out, and that's where the chapter ends. And then it starts again when he logs in the next day because he gets like one hour between three and four p.m. every day. <laughs> that's an amazing conceit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. And then um, there's the there's a game involved. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the story too much because he, well, he befriends God and defeats the devil, and he does it all via the internet, via his computer. Um, all via screens that look very much like what we've just described with windows opening and things. So imagine you're the kid sitting at a desk looking at a computer screen and clicking through. And that's that's what the comic is. As you go page by page, it's you opening a new window, adding a sentence to something, messaging a friend, that kind of stuff. It's very, it, it 
very living vicariously through this main character who it's like a first person experience when you're when you're reading it um and uh, there's a game in involved called it's a first person shooter called Portal to Hell and when i ordered the digital edition of internet crusader from the website i got the portal to hell zine included which is um it's basically an old school instruction manual for the game so the game that he plays in in the uh in the book when you when you get through to that part of the book like you've got an instruction manual for it as well which is in the form of a zine that comes included which is really cool um and it is like an old school instruction manual with all the like you know warranty shit in it and everything it's great <laughs> it's fantastic nice. yeah uh can't get enough of this stuff um the the vein that this guy has tapped into is just so rich <laughs> um i i love this whole thing but yeah um so it's it's all in that George, like that that way that we described his work with Twenty One Twenty as well, which is like his style. Like he distills images down to base colors and shapes, and there's a real simplicity to it. And it's flat colored imagery used to incredible effect um, to produce these screens that look familiar and tell an incredible horror comedy tale about the early days of the internet and the prevalent dangers of malware and viruses spam emails, dumb porn sites, all of it. Um, it does a truly amazing job. And I, I did read the whole thing in one sitting. It's incredible work. The video game portion of the book is really interesting. Um, and like the Portal to Hell zine, which is basically the instruction, like an old school PC game instruction manual. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's, um, it's a great game. And uh, the, the, the way the game works in the thing is great. It's very, very Doom-esque. Um, and yeah, it's just so much fun. This is a great book. Fuck off, mum. I'm 12. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> I simultaneously miss those days and never want to go back to them. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the daily hour or two you would get to use the internet as a petulant 12-year-old. Mm. Like, that was around the time that my, uh, my sisters yeah. were at university, and so... I was I, I could log onto the internet very briefly yeah. before one of them, like my mum would try and call my sister and everything would cut yeah. off and all of that stuff. Exactly. And like for yeah. the younger listeners amongst you, like we could we could only use the internet or our telephone line. We couldn't use both at the same time. And like that was a conundrum that I had to deal with yeah. my entire my entire teen years. Yeah, it, I'm so glad it's not like that now. <laughs> I'm so glad we managed to move beyond that. Yeah, but we walked just... so you could fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I tried so hard and got <laughs> God. Downloading like little three minute videos of Dragon Ball Z and pasting together a whole episode. Because that's a mood. <laughs> Stuff like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and like using the internet and then someone picking up the phone and disconnecting you because they didn't know you were on the internet. Yeah, that, that was my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Hmm. all the time but yeah that was uh that was internet crusader which is incredible and if you like what we had to say about it check it out and also check out 2120 which we are now able to get rahul's thoughts on which i'm very excited about being a <laughs> game guy so go ahead blast off well yeah it seems like we're quickly going to become like big fans of george wallace's work because like i up front i really really enjoyed 2120 uh, um but I was going to ask, like, do you think it's worth quickly diving into games like while we're 
in between these points like yeah yeah let's it, do it yeah because internet crusader sounds uh, a lot like like if you like that i feel like you'd really enjoy this game called hypnospace outlaw i don't know if you've ever played it or you've heard of it but it's basically no. like <laughs> a, a 90s internet detective simulation game oh wow okay I, I, it's got basically the s- similar vibes not the same sort of aesthetic but it's got that like very pixelated 90s sort of You've got like a little interactive chat buddy that keeps bothering you in the bottom right corner of your screen constantly. And like, I feel like if you vibe with this, you might vibe with that. And it yes. also sounds a lot like um, like a, a Daniel Mullins. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's uh, He did this game called Pony Island. And then recently he did this really meta game called Inscription that's, that got really popular. But like Pony Island also has a lot of that, um, you know, early internet, uh, like panic sort of, you know, the the dangers of being on the internet and having access to all this um all this free information and like opening your network up to people and you know being exposed and all of that like yeah yeah it sounds like you would you would like that stuff but actually the thing that you said which i didn't expect to talk about um is you were talking about like there's a instruction manual for this game yeah and you told me that you've been playing tunic um, yes, yes, so, which which I wanted to get because because that that's cool as well in the fact that you find pieces of instruction manual as you go through the game. Yeah, so I thought that would be a nice segue into that. Like, how yeah. how far have you got into that game, and like, how are you finding it? Not very far at all, but I love it because it's basically Zelda. It's basically Zelda with a bit of Dark Souls in it. Like, it's yeah. uh, surprisingly hard in places. Like, I ha- I've had difficulty in a few bits, but I think yeah. the thing that I'm really taken with is the instruction manual mechanic, mm. where like. In yeah. the in the world, you find like pages to this instruction manual, and it informs what you can do in the game because it's like it's it's like the paper documents you would get when you bought a, like you know a SNES game secondhand or whatever, and it would have the previous owner's scribbles in the corner and stuff, and like people taking notes of where you can find secrets on a map and stuff like that, and like yeah, I just I really love things that play in that space of like yeah being able to replicate the joys of this you know physical world like this analog world and put it into the digital space yeah um which kind of touches into something i want to say in 2120 in a bit but like yeah i just uh i don't wonder if you had any thoughts on that and if it connects to um at all. it does connect to it because it, it again like i i played this on your recommendation because at the minute it's on xbox game pass mm-hmm. um and i'm looking i'm playing it through that um but i might end up paying for a full version of it just so i can keep it forever and ever and ever <laughs> um but it's um it's so cool in the fact that it, it has that kind of like it feel I tell you what it feels like. It feels like you've just gone and bought a second hand game that's in another language. I think that's a hundred percent it. Like I mean, there literally is a yeah. foreign there's a like a, a made up language in the game. Which yeah. I feel like is is like leaning to that feeling of picking up a Japanese RPG or something and yeah. not and then having to resort to game FAQs to and find like a translation guide to... or whatever. Yeah, having to kind of like pass that out yourself, which I have done in the past. Um, and it really mm. it really is a familiar feeling when I started playing it. I was like, hang on, this is like... And then you get like the bits of instruction manual in it. And I'm like, mm. holy cow, yeah, because there are, you know, it, it like I love that stuff where you're finding the instruction manual, using the instruction manual, because it just like, it's a whole thing. And I, I love the fact that it's very Zelda-y and it's more Zelda than Dark Souls, which is why I get on with it. Mm. Um, and... I just I like how it looks as well, like the whole aesthetic of it with everything being blocky. It feels like it's all been like cut from foam and stuff, and it's really yeah, awesome. it is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, and and um, it just reminded me of when we got Aladdin on the Mega Drive. 
Oh yeah. Um, because we bought it second hand years ago. Me and my brother we got Aladdin on the Mega Drive. My dad bought it for us, and probably out of the new because. Again, some of you may be old enough to remember this. Some of you probably won't. But um, the people used to sell things by putting newspaper ads, um, <laughs> and especially in Leicester, in the in the local newspaper, the Leicester Mercury, you get newspaper ads for like secondhand video games and stuff. This was way before mm. you could trade stuff in at game shops and things like that. Um, so what my dad used to do is he used to look through the paper um, and pick out secondhand game ads. And like for a treat, he would be a, he would like get us like a new Mega Drive game or something sometimes. And we got a copy of Aladdin, and it had the, the level skip cheat code written in the back of the instruction manual. A B B A. <laughs> Start A B B A level skip. Mm. So yeah, that that reminds me. It's like very much that vibe, and it reminds me. It gave it just brought that memory to the front of my mind. But yeah, I'm loving it so far. Um. Yeah, it's great. So if you've got Xbox Game Pass or even if you don't have Xbox Game Pass and you've got enough money to just go and get it, go and get it because it's fantastic. Yeah, and I guess the other way around as well, like maybe check out some of George Wallace's work because it sounds like they're operating in the same spaces. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And then I guess that leads us on to uh, to my take on 2120, if that's yes. cool. Yeah, go um, for it. I'm probably going to approach this more from a game puzzly construction side because that's the thing that like it it ticked all the boxes in my brain for but um also i may be rehashing things you guys said because i haven't actually <laughs> listened to what what your opinions were from the last time so i'm sorry if i'm like treading old ground but let me let me go from the top from my point of view so like <clears throat> as you mentioned um the conceit of this book is it's a choose your own adventure graphic novel and like you're a computer technician called wade and you arrive at this building 2120 mcmillan drive to fix a computer and so each page has a setting and a page number assigned to various directions to move in or actions to perform, um, as indicated on the screen. Oh, sorry, screen on the page. And then you follow the page numbers, fix the computer, uh, and then go back home. Simple, right? Um, apparently not that simple. So we've already talked about the artwork. Um, and like yeah. for me, it's got this really distinct sort of almost gaudy children's picture book style that looks like it's been printed on an old cheap domestic inkjet printer and then like printed out and then stapled together kind of thing and it looks like internet crusader has that same like fundamental style that same aesthetic of like being printed via like crappy means but for it to evoke a particular time made, and mood. made on a made on a bubble jet printer using um old um image editing software or something yeah, and with like yeah. ink that kind of expired four years ago or something, it was all streaky and. That's why it's so fucking cool, Ray. Yeah, no, I, I'm here with you. Like, it's it's really good and it's really evocative of that of that time. And like, it 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 does feel really gamey. Like, not just the fact that it is an interactive piece of like physical fiction, but like it's also presented as still images, obviously, because it's a book, but with static and like slightly incongruous user interface placed pasted on top and it's you know it reminds me of the original mist in that it's all viewed from a first person perspective and the pages are all you know slideshow static rendered screens from that game like that sort of moving from slide uh what do you call them slideshow to slideshow like that that sort of game and it's all kind of coated in this sickly primary color like primary color scheme so it's got like yellow walls green floors and everything's in this weird various degrees of washed out fadedness and it's it's this really odd place because it doesn't feel lived in 
because that's like it's too abstract and inhuman for that but it's more like worn out and aged and sun bleached and you is can't tell not, if it's is that not um, every office building ever well i mean kind of it, it does evoke that thing but it's also like uh like that inhuman thing is it is it part of what is is it part of the page that it's print like quote unquote printed on is it that bubble jet faded thing or is it in universe and i like that you you don't know which is which you don't know if it's the medium or the scenario like i i felt like that was a really nice like thing to wrestle with and like when we when we do see other human characters in this book which is not very often they're rendered in these really like pallid off-putting tones and like you talked about the line art in well actually you talked about the line art in 2120 but for me it reminded me of old computer games like that vectored line art yeah and i mean old as in old old like desktop um you know computer games where you were playing something on a old five and a half inch floppy or whatever like commodore or an amstrad type thing that kind of thing windows 3.5 yeah that sort of thing where it's like vectored line art and it feels like the images are on an old crt monitor and like um that you can almost feel like the image being populated line by line and i don't mean that in the old like our internet generation uh jpeg from top to bottom sort of loading in you know yeah horizontal line by line but i mean like line by line stroke by stroke I don't know if you have if you have that same touch point as me because like I grew up with yeah. a lot of these old PCs where the vectored line art would like draw in line by line and you'd it would almost be seemingly at random uh, but it would be on the way that the the art was coded into the game and it would be line by line stroke yeah. by stroke and then color block by color block and it really feels like it's that sort of you've yeah. you've come onto the page uh, at the end of that like uh, loading cycle having yeah. been completed yeah correct me if I'm wrong but um... I, I, last time I said that this book was like the um, the enigma of Amigara Fault because you just want to carry on. You get stuck into it and it's like it's made for you and you have to climb deeper. Oh, but, yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've got a point to make on that. But yeah, carry I on. Wanna, I want to change that because I want to say that it's more like the, the, the enigma of Amiga 500 Fault. I made the mistake of drinking some tea while you were making that comment, <laughs> so I had to really hold that in. But yes, very clever. <laughs> I love Is it. Amiga 500 too far back, though, for this, for what you're saying? Because I don't know as much as you do about this stuff, so please correct me. You know what? I don't know. Like, I, I, I wasn't privileged enough to have yeah. <laughs> like a whole array of these kind of computers. I know I used to be babysat by a, um, a family who had one of those old tape. I think it was a BBC or one of those. And I used yeah. to love watching him type in like uh, typing games from a magazine, which is already at that time was already like maybe five to 10 years in the past. And he was doing it then. So like I was looking at this really retro stuff from my point of view as a 10 year old or whatever. Um, yeah. So I don't know my, my point of view on all that stuff is really muddled. Cause I don't know what was actually current <laughs> at the time that I was living in. Um, yeah. But yeah, hundred percent. It really evokes that kind of stuff, like stuff being loaded from tapes or being loaded from like massive floppy disks and stuff. Uh, I think it would have been, yeah, floppy disks totally. Cause I remember mm. playing games off floppy disks, but like literally the, the actual yeah. literally floppy disks, like the big yeah. ones, not the, yeah. Anyway. Um, I mean, after all of that, like all this, this cool artwork, which, you know, you guys have gone over the thing that really impressed me about this book is it's construction. And like, uh, we've reviewed, or I think maybe I reviewed, um, some other choose your own adventure books before. I think it was Meanwhile by Jason Shiger. And like that one really leans into its physical format by having like cutout tabs and uh, the meandering complexity of like this pipework, which leads you from page to page. You have to like follow a literal line um, through the book. 
2120 instead has like almost secret mechanics nestled in its pages. Like one of the one of the inherent hurdles with this kind of choose your own adventure is that you run the risk of exposing yourself to spoilers or seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing or reading things that you shouldn't be reading while navigating between the pages as you you know you're following uh, instructions. And 2120 knows this. It knows this hurdle and it's arranged its pages so thoughtfully so that you're never like you're never really flipping over pages that you shouldn't be seeing like there's broad there's like a very broad act structure and you'll never go past the certain barrier in that really um which means that when you're told to go to a specific page and the open page next to it is showing something completely foreign and unsettling and unexpected the book is doing that to you on purpose it knows you're going to have the book open on these two pages and you're going to see <laughs> that that messed up thing on the other side that you that you have no context for because it's from somewhere yeah. in the future or somewhere in the past that you haven't quite found your way to yet and like as a reader as a quote-unquote player you're seeing between the cracks just a little and it's very intentional and like that part really reminded me of tunic like the thing where we've reached a a point of sophistication in video games where you know we we know the th- we know enough about how the Easter eggs and like the secrets that we found back in old school games, how they were constructed out of necessity. And now we can kind of do that as part of the design. And like, that's what I love about this book. Like it knows it's designed. It's, it's iterated on like previous versions of this, this kind of storytelling mechanic and like knows how to turn the, like the, the flaws of the medium, I guess, into positives for this particular story. And so the playfulness of this book then lies in how you choose to coordinate your journey through this scenario, right? Which very quickly unravels into something really alien and really sinister. And like, spoiler warning here, I guess, I, I, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be quite free-flowing with spoilers because like we've already primed this book in the last episode. So it's playing in the space of malicious architecture, which as a trio at Ace Comicals, we love. Like we know, like we've talked about it all the time, like liminal spaces and like yeah, yeah. that kind of non-Euclidean stuff. Like yeah. this, this office building. Like we've we've already talked about how awful just existing in an office building is. When it's an office building that is clearly non-Euclidean, that's a whole that's that's basically playing to our <laughs> our, our like horror fetish, right? Like yeah, pretty walls, much yeah. Uh, like walls where there shouldn't be walls, like vast interior spaces in arrangements that yeah. just don't make any sense. Like I mentioned the yellow walls earlier. I wonder if it's a happy coincidence throughout like the the making of this book that it's. The yellow walls are so similar to like the the unsettling visual iconography of the recently popular backroom videos. If you haven't heard yeah. of that, you should definitely go check out backrooms. I've lo- um, I've looked at the backrooms. It's so there's so it's such a well made piece of like low budget horror and yeah and like if you like that you'll like this. I think is what basically what I'm trying to say. It's so, like in the book when you uh, when you open a door to a massive hallway with like literally dozens of doors to choose from it's really like genuinely overwhelming right yeah definitely and i just want to say as well that most office buildings have that awful fucking lighting that makes them yellow anyway (laughs) well yes exactly and like something i did want to bring up which i we i think we've talked about offcast is um uh, a tv show that i know for sure that leon has finished but i also finished recently called severance where it has this um it has a similar thing of like maze like uh, no natural lighting, uh, hostile, clinical yeah. uh, office spaces. 
This came um, up last time as well. And I've right. not watched Severance yet. And, and all I get told is, don't watch it, but you should watch it. That's all I, I get told. I, I would 100% agree with like, you should watch it, but you specifically, Greg, maybe you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> I think it would lead you down a bad rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, like I, I love that it, 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 it gets to play in this space where it gets to suddenly be like, it goes from claustrophobic to agoraphobic and it's like super overwhelming. And like, how you approach these options that suddenly put in front of you, um, they won't really have a profound effect on the plot, but it will impact what you see first. Like um, you can tackle these doors from left to right. If you can even figure out what is left and what is right as you're flipping backwards and forward through these pages, um, you can be like me and attempt to tackle them in numerical order. And that comes with its own trappings. Like you, you tie yourself in knots trying to remember where you've been yeah. And if you're even looking at the pages you're supposed to be looking at, like it's very easy to get discombobulated and like look at the wrong thing. Um, like these pages, all you can be flipping through these pages, which brilliantly all look identical at a glance. But in retrospect, you can go back and realize that they've been leading you to very different endpoints. And like I'm 100% sure the designers anticipated these different methods of attack and gave like tragic endings to those who try to be smarter than the book. Yeah. Um, and I do also really like that it kind of it doesn't have the uh, the death trap dungeon thing of multiple endings where you you sort of die and have to go back to the beginning. It kind of does, but it also kind of doesn't. And like um, I re I really enjoyed that it wasn't just a horrible dead end. Like there was a a consequence to the way that you yeah. you tried to pick your way through this book. So um, um, I just wanted to ask hmm. you a couple of questions actually because I had some specific questions to ask you. Yeah, so sure. from a from a gamer point of view, did you find it as addictive and gratifying as I did, like solving some of the puzzles in there and things like that? Yeah, and like this is literally the the next thing I was going to go on to. So like, um, I think like these puzzles, like by virtue of needing to basically point to a specific page number, they all boil down to find a key in the form of a number to open a door on that corresponding page, and like they mine. Uh, a few different clever puzzles through this restriction and i would say there's there was one point so like to answer your question there was one point i was very lost and resorted to kind of sequence breaking out of desperation like looking at pages i shouldn't i hadn't naturally found my way to through the you know the, the flow of the journey and brilliantly this led me down a whole wild goose chase which uh, deliberately led me through a series of future pages that's that I shouldn't be see like quote unquote shouldn't have been seeing if I was doing it the correct way. Like it knew that I was quote unquote cheating, and all that did was to serve to whet my appetite to see the book through to the end. Because like if it hadn't given me that like glimpse of the future, there's a very real chance I would have got frustrated. And this being a new book, like not like kind of like having a new video game not having anywhere to turn to for assistance, you know, like not knowing. But the fact that I could just open the open the book and flip through the pages and kind of like peek through it in my own way. And it led me a very specific way through that that false path. And then it it showed me all this stuff and then spat me back out near the beginning saying, how did I get here? Absolute genius. Like the fact that they anticipated that like this particular choke point could be um, and I'm I'm assuming good faith on the the uh, the designers because yeah I assume that was intentional I assume it was this specific roadblock or this specific gating yeah was designed to be like deliberately confusing 
and yeah. make players look at this specific page, which makes you want to follow that path, like follow your morbid curiosity, yeah. um, which transgresses the rules that you've been playing by this entire time and shows you all of this stuff and then leads you back to the beginning and lets you just carry on without shame almost. Yeah. Super cool. Like I thought that was very, very clever. So how many endings did you find during your existential hell ride? I mean, I, I did, ultimately I looked at every single page naturally. Like I found the path that led to each ending. Um, And I really love that. This is what I was saying earlier. Like I love that there are dead ends and like that one that ties into the, the theme of iterating through the story in kind of the same way that like uh, a FromSoft game has like at its core, the design philosophy about what it means to reset the world and die and try again. And the consequences of that, you know, that, that constant um, uh, pushing through and constantly trying new, uh, new ways to tackle the same problem. Um, Yeah. Like, so I basically saw all of them. Like what, what was your favorite non-ending ending of them? Um, the, the, the dancer. <laughs> yeah, that was like some really beautiful moments in this book, right? Like in a way that I yeah. didn't expect. And I think, um, this is something that I think uh, I'll touch on a bit later, but like, I like that it, it initially starts off like, uh, like it, it leads to the introduction of these characters and the introduction of these themes at the end, which have a lot of like weight to them. So like the dancer is, is one of my favorites where it gets to play with the medium. Cause like you get to make a choice about whether you take the selfish thing of ignoring her pleas to, for you to dance with her, and you can like kick her, <laughs> her record player, and it, me- it means that like the needle that the record is playing on skips, and that affects her. Like She starts skipping, and then as you try to w- walk away, you start skipping, and then you reach, yeah. the, end of the, uh, you reach the end of the book, yeah. right? I love like, that. I love that. <laughs> so affecting, and the fact that it yeah. gets to... Um, like, introduce this new visual motif of that as well which it hadn't shown yeah. you before and it can be quite like yeah. suddenly jarring without feeling like it came out of nowhere if you know what i mean like it, it yeah. earned the right to suddenly break the way anything is, mm. anything where he glitches out anything where there's weird grease coming from things <laughs> where there's like yeah all of that is mm. it's is, is all fantastic um, like I, I think my favorite was where you go down the the elevator because like that's one of those where because I was doing, I was going through the pages numerically. Like I was trying to yeah. go through each door based on what number it was, so I could make sure I saw all of them. And like I saw the elevator, and I was like, "Nope, I'm not going to go down the elevator because it feels bad." And when I got back to it, you go down the elevator. It's a dark, it's a a dark tunnel. You turn around, you can't get out because there's inexplicably a rock that's like blocked your path. Yeah. And then you just walk forever. You walk forever until the end of the book, and yeah. like. That that affected me like really deeply because I wasn't expecting it to be so sudden. That was the first one that I found, yeah. uh, like the, of these non-ending endings. But also the fact that I knew I knew there was something off about that specific door in a in a realm of off doors. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, in a world of off doors, that one was off. That but, one was super off. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to say, like, what came up last time, what you were saying about, like, the environment and everything, like, it, it really does, because I, I said this last time, but I'm going to reiterate just to kind of, like, close this off, but, like, it, it, it really does capture the mundane sickness and blank, total utilitarian erasure of imagination and creativity that mm. I experience when I walk into my office building. 
Um, and it makes you really think about the design of the office building as well. And um, it's also on in uh, 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 just opposed to that with the color palette and everything he uses. Did you not get the Simpsons? You know what? No, I, I didn't. I didn't really think pick up think on about that. the like Simpsons it... house and think about the wall colors and the carpet colors and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that because, like, that's a big talking point around the Simpsons mythos. Anyway, is like, what is the construction of the Simpsons household, and does it ever make sense? And like, how different seasons contradict later seasons, and so on. And so You're on. You're trying like, to tell me that the Simpsons house is a Lovecraftian entity? Is that where we're going with this? That, there's definitely there's a hundred percent been think pieces written about that topic because, like, they have because look up. I, I think it's the um, Simpsons basement playroom or something. There's literally a room in the Simpsons household that's only appeared in one episode very early on and it has never turned up again. And it's like, why, why has this room never gone mentioned or shown in the, in, you know, the 25 years or whatever we've had Simpsons. Cause it exists outside normal dimensional space. hundred percent. And the fact that it's like a children's <laughs> playroom and like, what does it mean for that room to be hidden in time or to be hidden through the, uh, the geometry oh of this space like look it up it's, it's honestly really interesting and like it's the internet going off the way the internet does and like yeah reading into stuff yeah, that is just production whatever i love uh, the but... way the internet hive mind does that and turns something into something so sinister <laughs> it is very <laughs> interesting yeah like yeah. Definitely, definitely look that up um, i will have to check that out yeah it's funny though because i don't i think i don't share the same workplace trauma as you <laughs> especially as i i've been working from home for the last couple of years but um yeah yeah i, I think, guess i, I think because I'm I'm inherently such a creative person that I I can't stand being in a blank space and and not having anything to vibe off or or like sim stimulate me in any way. Yeah, and yeah, it just, yeah, it breaks me. <laughs> this is why you shouldn't watch Severance, <laughs> but also because yeah. that's that's basically the theme of it. Is like, what does it mean to be stuck in this room where there's yeah. there's no. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, not inspiration. Like, th there's nothing to to like activate your senses or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess this this book does do that really well. Like, there's there's nothing there to stimulate you apart from the when there is something to stimulate you, it's something gross and horrible or like or something fucking weird, like a clown sticker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I don't I don't know if that clown sticker ever came up again. Um, maybe it yeah. did, and I just missed that reference. Um, but it's funny because, like, I I think the thing that I latched onto more than the like the uh, the horrible empty workplace stuff is the final theme that it seems the book is going for. Because, like, yeah, like it says, it, initially it seems like the story is an excuse to put the reader slash player into a fucked up situation and show them something wild and disorienting and creepy and disturbing. And honestly, I'd have been okay with that. You know, contrary to what we normally say, where like I don't need to see the the, the monster you know what i mean like yeah um but it ultimately it does build up to a point it does show you the monster and it's a concept that i'm seeing more and more in media these days and like you know we've talked about this kind of thing in um uh, made in korea and like i think matrix resurrections touches on this yeah. a little bit like what does it mean to what does it mean to generate ai and what does it mean to build a world and populate it without oversight and what does it mean to iterate yeah. through a million mazes just because your creator wanted to see how the rat would evolve and like like one thing that I thought was kind of new in this was how complicit can a creator be in uh, trapping a being into suffering that they don't realize they've generated for it. And like, it's a, uh, I think it, 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 it builds to that theme. It, it, it builds to quite a satisfying crescendo on that, on a mechanical level, 
yeah. like with one final test and one final puzzle to be inspected and you know peered over before the transcendence is allowed. Um, but I think it, like it's quite clear the author is trying to say that yo this is this is bad. <laughs> like you should know it because you as the yeah. reader have just lived through it. But I I think the 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 slight not even bad taste but just slight thing that. I think the theme is a little bit muddled because we as the reader and like certainly the way I approached this book in the end was we can demystify this chaos or like this chaotic world because it's ultimately set in a finite number of pages in an ultimately structured fashion. So like that thing of feeling responsible for the, the, the chaos that has been introduced by this seed of an idea that you've implanted to let a rat run around in for a million cycles. Yeah. I feel like I, I I as the ultimate viewer of it can pick it all apart but like yeah i i don't know the fact that it got me thinking this much and like it's given us very different talking points i think speaks to the uh yeah the amount of 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 work in this yeah definitely yeah it's it's i want to say it's a masterpiece i'm going to say it's a masterpiece (laughs) um the one of the most um harrowing endings for me was the waiting room (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, that was terrible. Like it's uh, <laughs> it's got it's got everything that I hate, which is like, um, I, I don't know, like that that Lynchian sort of uh, person with a bouffant hairdo and like too much makeup sat there grinning at you in a way yeah. that is kind of unnatural, and like you being responsible for your own like sad starvation demise, where like you're told to sit down and wait. So you and do. So you do. Yeah, you just do it <laughs> because they ask you to do it, and like, yeah, all right, fine. I guess I won't complain too much because like surely yeah. they'll turn up eventually and they never do like yeah that one that one is like i felt it felt too real in some ways yeah so um ray be, like you being the gamer guy one of the other things i wanted you to do was give it an arbitrary percentage a la something like pc gamer like back in the day you know when you used to read the old pc gamer magazine oh it's definitely a seven out of ten you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's the old ign seven out of, no i i think it's a i i I think it's a really, I'd give it like a full nine out of 10. I think it's a, you'd, you'd give it a 90%. <laughs> I'd give it a 90%. Like uh, this is yeah. me being like, you know, in, in PC gamer back in the day, there'd be like the different authors would have their different niches and their different, like sort of quote yeah. unquote, uh, yeah. like wanky pretentiousness. I would have written a very pretentious review of this thing. <laughs> it's like, uh, even though it doesn't have the next gen graphics required by like yeah. half-life one, it's not, you know, it's not generated on a 3D engine. It's still blah, blah, blah. Has I don't, I don't know. Like, it, to take this somewhere, like, more genuine, like, it got me thinking about the legacy of these adventure games, right? Because, like, yeah. a sequel to Monkey Island was recently announced. And adventure games are kind of a niche thing right now anyway. And yeah. these, these games began by creating, like, satisfying puzzles based on constrained mechanics from a noun-verb-interaction-based system, right? Yeah. And I think 2120 is a really pure distillation of this adventure game genre and like even undoes some of the frustrations of hitting roadblocks uh, by, you know, like if you didn't know what to do, you, you wouldn't know where to turn. Cause you, uh, you didn't yeah. have a, a guide. Like I mentioned this earlier, but like letting the, the reader, you know, quote unquote cheat peek between the pages and finding a way to reward them for doing so. Like, yeah. I think it's, it, that's done so well. And in that way, I don't think it should be translated into a game. Or read digitally, um, because unless they find a way to preserve the peeking through your fingers while skimming the pages and trying not to see, but ultimately seeing stuff that you shouldn't be seeing, uh, in the way that kind of like maybe Tunic kind of has figured out a little bit, like unless they they put that much effort into it, 
I think it should remain as a physical book. I think it's an yeah. amazing piece of interactive it's, physical horror. Yeah. And yeah, super highly recommend. It's an interesting, uh, really interesting piece of um, sequential art, and I really do enjoy it. And in that vein, uh, I guess we can say that all point-and-click adventure games are sequential art. Y- yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all happen in order. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying. I mean, it. aren't all video games sequential art? They just one, you know, you get one sixtieth of a thing happening. You, Sixty interactions happen a second. Like there you go. It's, yeah. Every, everything's point and click. I don't know. I don't know if if I think point. I think I think for for it to qualify as sequential art, it has to be more static than your standard Fair video game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd say it's it, yeah. Uh, that's twenty one twenty. Um. And uh, you should totally go and check that out. Like we said last time, it's uh, it's up for pre-order um, via Avery Hill. Um, you can it will be out May nineteenth uh, in the UK and May twenty sixth in the US. Nineteen pounds and ninety nine pence in the UK and uh, twenty six dollars ninety five in the US. Uh, so yeah, um, go and get your hands on that because it's fantastic. Um. I certainly will be getting because we've had a digital preview copy, and I certainly will be getting a physical copy of it when it when it drops for sure. Oh yeah, I, I think I will. Yeah. yeah. Moving on from there, one hell ride to another because I've been reading some Junji Ito again. So I picked up the latest sort of like Junji Ito collection to be published from Viz, which was published at the tail end of last year, and it collects twelve stories from early in his career. As a horror maestro, um, if you listen to this cast, then you know we like Junji. We talk a lot about Junjito's work. We've had some special episodes dedicated to him. We've got another one coming up um, that I will be planning to do for a uh, a new release that he's doing, which basically just feeds. It, it's again, it it the title of it alone is something that just um, it's the most ace comicals thing in the world. <laughs> It's a book by Junji Ito called The Liminal Zone. Um, and it's going to be a new story. Uh, and that comes out in this September. So I, I, I figure we should go check that out. It's literally called The Liminal Zone. I mean, like, we use that. That word is, like, synonymous with Ace Comicals now, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, if we had a, if we had a word uh, cloud of what we... The words we use would be, like, image and liminal. Liminal, yeah. <laughs> Purple off in the corner somewhere, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> what else would it. be in that word cloud? It'd be like didactic and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> evocative, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at us trying to sound intelligent. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, Junji Ito's um, latest collection, The Deserter. So, this collects um, the stories that this collects. Uh, you've got, I've got a list of me in front of me. You've got Biohouse, uh, Face Thief, Where the Sandman Lives, uh, The Devil's Logic, The Long Hair in the Attic, Scripted Love, uh, The Reanimator's Sword, A Father's Love, Unendurable Labyrinth, Village of the Siren, Bullied, and Deserter. Now, you may know some of these from previous collections. They have been published before. Um, you, they've, um, they've, definitely been published before i think some of them by dark horse um so yeah this was this was all all of these stories were originally published by dark horse in museum of terror volume three 
which was originally released in 2006. And some of them have slightly different names. So they've changed some of the names slightly from the original Dark Horse uh, titles. And um, the stories are published in chronological order in uh, this book as well, in Deserter. Um, and, I mean, what... Like, what can't... I mean, there's some really wild and interesting stories in here and you really can see the evolution of Junji Ito as an artist and a writer through these sto short stories and how he plays with different horror genres and things like that. It's like the building blocks of some of his later works are here. Um, and you can see some of his influences incredibly clearly. We can see how influenced he is by Western horror in a lot of these stories. And, um, and I think that's what makes Junji Ito stories unique in a way in the way that he plays with um western uh western horror concepts and and like western horror sensibilities in in a very japanese way if that makes sense to you ray yeah yeah absolutely like he's always yeah. he's, he's always playing in that space right yeah that's that's but like in this book it's like clearer than it is in it elsewhere mm, okay um and he uses that sort of like both he uses both um to create something like this fusion of the two of japanese and western horror because there's a lot of mm. themes in um in the way that like traditionally japanese horror stories are written and and that don't mesh well with western audiences sometimes and vice versa i think there's a lot of um like there's there's it, it, there's a real difference like there's a lot of if you look at like uh traditionally Japanese horror stories and, and traditional Japanese ghost stories and things, they are very, very different. Um, and they, they, they come at issues and, and, and they come at themes from different angles. And what Junji Ito manages to do is he manages to fuse the two. Um, and he creates something entirely original and just as chilling. Um, and uh, it's especially clear... In uh, Unendurable Labyrinth, which is one of my favourite stories from this collection, and um, the Reanimator's Sword and the Village of the Siren, they they share quite he they they share this quite heavily, like this this kind of like Western influence, and you can see like the influence of like Lovecraftian horror stories as well in those in those ones that I've just mentioned. Um, you can see how Lovecraft's work, horror work, would have influenced him and things like that, and and how that goes because unendurable labyrinth is very is a very lovecraft-esque story and so is the reanimator's sword and so is village of the siren they play out in that very um hp lovecraft way um and biohouse as well actually but like throughout the collection you get to see like his signature body horror some gruesome and uncomfortable grotesque and really detailed work uh, the long hair in the attic is an excellent example of that um, and we also get some really cool urban legend storytelling um, in The Devil's Logic, which is um, that one actually feels like an Are You Afraid of the Dark type thing, but a little bit more sinister. <laughs> so with that one, The Devil's Logic, it's basically there's a tape and on this tape recording, um, it convinces you to kill yourself. And the tape makes a compelling argument about why death's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay. you're off yourself. So yeah, it's like a proper urban legend thing. Like the tape convinces you to kill yourself. Um, but it's like the tape is created because the girl 
the girl that is Death's Envoy has a face-to-face conversation with another character. And that character has a tape recorder hidden in her bag that was hidden by somebody else at the school. I can't remember exactly why. <laughs> and uh, he, they, um, they, it, it, the, 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 he gets the tape recording later and listens to it. And then he ends up killing himself as well because she kills herself, but the tape remains undamaged. And he listens back to it. He's like, why would she do that? She was really happy. And then he listens back to it, and then that's why he kills himself. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool concept. Um, and yeah, there's some like really interesting themes and things that he plays with in here. Like, like um, it's it's a collection that spans the length and breadth of horror genres, and also showcases the amazing talent of Junji Ito. And it's just never enough. It's never ever enough. I always want more stories at the end. And the sinister energy that he manages to pour into some of the faces he uses and the gripping motion between the panels and the page layouts that are designed to deliver shock and claustrophobia in such a way. Like, in, in the way that you were talking about how seeing things you shouldn't see on the opposite page in uh, 2120. Hmm. Um, seeing things you shouldn't see on the opposite page of a Junji Ito book, but that not <laughs> spoiling the reveal when you read the panels and lead up to it. Um, in the way the page layouts are done and then combined with the perfect present, uh, the perfect pacing that is present in these short tales as well. Like a couple of these stories deal with like themes of abuse and cruelty um, that people are, you know, capable of, of exacting upon others, like the human race. Like it holds, he holds a mirror up to some of the truly ugly faces of society and the things and, and, and some of the the truly ugly behaviors that people are capable of taking on and you know as with all the best horror out there that's that's the thing that's what that's what all the best horror does um there's a story you know the bully story the the story about a controlling abusive father um the most horrifying thing of all is the sickness of people and he plays with that in a really deft way in some of these stories like hatred and and malice made manifest and and some of these pages to great effect um biohouse is incredibly interesting story with what i will call the concept of reverse vampires um (laughs) it's like the source of the blood is the master and the vampires feed that feed on the blood are the slaves so it's like bio horror body horror it's it's a really really fun flip of things that i really enjoyed um yeah, Unendurable Labyrinth is incredibly unsettling, though, and it has this, like, real slow creep. Um, and that one um, is... Uh, uh, the other name for that one is Unbearable Maze. Um, and uh, the plot for this one is these two friends, Noriko and Sayako, they go hiking deep in the mountains, and they stumble upon an ancient temple where there's, a ded- where there's like, dedicated sect of believers. They're practicing, like, a really weird version of Buddhism. Like, but it's like a, a, like corrupt version of Buddhism, and then they join in the meditation and the other rituals, and they learn the cult places a great deal of emphasis on on suppressing the self, and the highest honor is to be chosen for eternal meditation, which is the <laughs> act of becoming a living mummy. Ito does that right? stuff so well, right? Like, yeah, cor- yeah. corrupted versions of institutionalized. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's just like in this the, the story beats in this one particularly stuck with me because it is, it is very mm. lovecraftian in that these two young women go hiking in the woods and then they stumble across this 
hidden um temple that sort of is like in a weird kind of like they've they've basically gotten lost and found it but then it's almost as if it's like stuck apart from the rest of 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 the world in a strange way like they can't they wouldn't be able to find their way back it's like a, a place out of space and time almost hmm. in the way that the story goes in like it does that's not explained or alluded to explicitly but it's just a feeling i get from it um and then like all the kind of like the weird architecture and and the strange tunnels full of like um people in various stages of decay and uh, as they're meditating for eternity and things like it's it's incredible but yeah go read it um but that one in particular stuck with me i love it and um you can see like his thing the thing that he's super adept at that we've talked about before on previous episodes where we've discussed his work is where he takes something small and innocuous some concept or a- abstract notion or idea or thought and he manifests it in a horrifying way and the ideas usually grow like a slow mold that creeps across and deforms everything it touches. <laughs> but like you're seeing it in real time as you flick through the pages, like panel to panel across the page. And it's rendered beautifully in that detailed black ink. And it just so much movement there as well in some of these images. And it's just absolutely brilliant. So yeah, um, that is Deserter by Junji Ito. And I recommend you check that out. And uh, yeah, watch this space for more Junji Ito talk because uh, I think there's going to have to be. Uh, I mean, are you going to go check that one out, Ray? <laughs> I mean, of, of course. Like, <laughs> recommending Junji Ito is like shooting fish in a barrel, man. Like, <laughs> I, I will read this. I'm definitely, uh, like, like I said up top, I'm definitely really interested in, um, what was the, the, the one that's coming out in September? Liminal. Um, the Liminal Zone. The Liminal Zone, yeah. That, like, the title alone definitely speaks to me. <laughs> like, You're already yeah. living in it, man. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I... I, I this is another one to add to the big list of Junjita that I haven't read. Like one thing, um, one thing I realized is that there's got to be other Japanese horror manga mangakas that I just I have no awareness of. So like, yeah, if anybody out there listening knows of like this massive blind spot that I have that can be filled with something, then please write in and recommend because like, there's there's got to be other stuff. There's got to be things that have the same level of uh, like depth and complexity and. I don't know, just a different point of view on things. There so certainly are, them. and I've had brushes mm. with it. Um, but I can't, for the life of me, bring anyone's name up right now. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but it's more that, been... like, because I've been reading a lot of Berserk lately. Like, I slowed down on it a little while ago, but, like, I, I want to get back to it. And that has a very... Yeah. It also has a very different tone to what I'm used to in terms of, like, shonen manga and stuff. And, like, even the, the more... Uh, the more gruesome and horrific shonen manga, like it, I don't know. It has a different pacing to it that I wanna, I wanna find more of, and it's really difficult to find other things that scratch that same itch. Yeah, I think uh, mm. one of the guys I'm thinking of is Hideshi Hino. Right. If you manage to check out some of their work, I mean, I've definitely um, got a few um, like yeah. art books from Japanese horror artists that I don't know if they've done narratives or like the, the manga but i've definitely got a few like good picture books of that which i'll yeah. find for the next next recordings i don't want to get up and scramble to find these books but yeah yeah but there's some there's some pretty good ones out there that you can check out mm. pretty interesting stuff so yeah um what's that is it the floating classroom or something i'm not aware of that, that, what one? Is that? No. let me look that up um just while we're talking because that's another one that's supposed to be real good um 
that I've been meaning to check out, but I haven't. Uh, the floating classroom. <laughs> I mean, if you Google the floating classroom, that's a barge on the Thames. <laughs> Apparently, that's a learning centre in London. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming it's not that. <laughs> it's all about that. No, right. um, yeah, the flo- no, the drifting classroom. Not the f- Yeah, there we go. The drifting classroom. It's uh, Kazuo Umezu, yeah. So okay. Another, there, yeah. He's supposed to be very good as well. Cool. I will be adding yeah. that to the list as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, um, that is uh, Ace Comicals episode 130 because that is the end of the books. So um, if you like what we do, you can find us on our sick HTML website, <laughs> www.acecomicals.com, uh, where there are links to everything that we do. And uh, yes, if you download the MP3, it will run on your Winamp media player. Um <laughs> You can Just, listen to us in all the modern places, though, like Spotify and iTunes and such. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Uh, on Twitter, at Monkey. That's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. Uh, you can find us on the Twitter as well, at Ace Comicals. Um, yeah, so uh, you can at us, you can DM us, uh, give us your opinions or um, your, you know, about things that we've talked about today, if you've read anything or anything that we've talked about today, or um, if you... Uh, if you just want to, you know, get into a nostalgic conversation about late nineties computing, <laughs> then then we're all here for it. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Bato. That's B A T T O U. Um, so that has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals over and out. <laughs>